0: Talk Zone presents Motivation with a Purpose Radio, the show that highlights the inspirational stories of people from all walks of life. Now, bringing you real inspiration, here are your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Welcome once again to Talk Zone, the home of Motivation with a Purpose. Every Friday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time, I'm Rich Hallstrom. This is Motivation with a Purpose, where we seek to inspire you to live and work with purpose. And hello once again to my co-host this morning, Zeke Bambolo. Zeke, hey, how are you this morning, my friend?
1: I am doing fine, Rich. I'm doing good, man. It's, uh, it's a Friday, as we always uh, do, uh, uh, the day we always do this show and, uh, uh, I'm just kind of getting in my game mode, you know, even today, getting my game phase, game mode on because, uh, it's coming towards a latter part of the season and I'm coaching my seven year old daughter's basketball team and it's intense. So I have to have my game phase on through the rest of the weekend, beginning with this morning.
0: So do you have her practicing her free throws after the game or I should say after the show today?
1: Oh, uh, well, you know, we've got to practice tonight, but she decided to get sick last night. She had a really tough night, and she didn't make it to school today. So if she doesn't make it to school, that means she get, she doesn't get to practice basketball also. So today, unfortunately for her, no basketball. But tomorrow is a game day, so we hope she's feeling better by tomorrow as well. But well, it is we'll, what it is.
0: We will all hold a good thought and uh, say a couple of prayers for that because I know that she happens to be a very, very good bat basketball player because it does let me say run in the family genes and i'm sure you and i'm sure you and i'm sure you have worked on a few post moves that you will unveil at the appropriate time am i if i got that right
1: i'll just say you're a, you're a very good friend but uh my poor daughter has no hope here's the deal um but I'm, I'm a proud dad nonetheless proud dad proud coach mommy's proud as well as she is obviously as you know pretty tall for her age and she is about the youngest in the league but probably yeah because of a crazy dad maybe has one of the uh the better skill sets and so just as my proud little dad moment, if I can steal the moment, she, uh, we played a game, a couple of, uh, weeks ago and, uh, we won 29 to 7. She probably had about 10 or 12 of those points. But the better thing and when you talk about free throws, she was 4 for 6 from the free throw line. I mean, that's, even the NBA players don't get those kind of tracks. So you know what? I'm tracking in the right direction here, I think.
0: Hey well if if Shaq was still playing I would tell you to uh give Shaq a call and then she could give uh Shaquille a few uh pointers on the free throws that there you you know you're not missing the mark there you, you if you want to see an NBA game and see not how to shoot free throws you got plenty of chances these days
1: well, we've when got, you, we've got a, we've got a guest today in Kate that might, that might chastise me because, you know, we're talking about having, uh, some child labor services, you know, almost even though we're talking about entitlement, you know, but I'm thinking I could use her to make some money teaching some NBA players to shoot free throws. And you know what? Is it bad if I can make a couple of million doing that, you know, with my daughter? Come on. She's seven. She's ready for work, isn't she? Hey, I th-
0: well, <laughs> according to Kay Weimar, our special guest, the author of Cleaning House, a mom's 12 month experiment to rid her home of youth entitlement. Uh, we need to be making more capable kids. There you go. And that's, and that is what we're going to talk about today on this edition of Motivation with a Purpose. And at this time, we want to remind you once again that you can find Motivation with a Purpose on Facebook at MWP Radio AM. And on Twitter at MWP Radio Man or right here on the Talk Zone Talk Channel every Friday, once again at eleven A.M. Pacific Time and two PM Eastern Time, so where we can motivate you to live and work with purpose. Let me tell you a little bit more about our very special guest, Kay Wyma. She is an author, businesswoman, and mom. She has five kids and has the resume to step into the C-suite of many companies, but she has chosen to step into the E-suite instead and help us rid our generation, our current generation of kids of that entitlement mentality, the uh, self-esteem generation as it's called. And she says that self-esteem generation has, uh, taught themselves that they are entitled to everything and that work is a foreign word. And we're going to ask Kay how to change that all around as she joins us right now on Motivation with a Purpose. Hi, Kay. How are you?
2: I'm good. How are y'all doing?
0: We are doing great. Kay, what what happened? What epiphany did you have to start this experiment? Let's start the conversation right there.
2: You know, what started it all was just a mother that was frustrated. I mean, you get mom mad and, it's you know, things change. And so (laughs) it was one too many bed unmade and one too many articles of clothing on the floor and, you know, too many dishes left out from breakfast. And it didn't help that on the way to school that morning, one of my kids just mused aloud that, he might look good in the Porsche that was driving next to us when he turned 16, and I, I just thought, what in the world am I doing? And you know, I had a moment where I thought they look to me to serve them for, you know, for everything, and they're looking to the state and I, and I was like, oh, I don't even believe in that. And and that's when I thought, what am I doing? Do they even know how to do their own laundry? Do they know how to to um, clean a bathroom? You know, just regular life stuff, and I realized very quickly that the answer was no, because I step in and do it for them all the time.
1: But, uh, but Kay, I, I've got to say, I will need you to help. And Ezekiel again. I, I'm already enjoying the Texas accent. So keep it going. Nice and thick on us here. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, oh, but, but Kay, I need to tell but, you
2: that it was 75 here yesterday.
1: <laughs> oh, stop. You see, now you get, okay. You keep us, keep us, keep us honest here. <laughs> but, but Kay, Listen, I, I, you know, what is really, I mean, you, you tell, man, I'm a little facetious, I'm a little uh, leading on, but what is wrong with me telling my kids they can't do anything? You know, I mean, that's part of why we, we're here, isn't it? That
2: they can do anything. Is
1: that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, but tell me, I mean, if, if they can't yeah. do so that's, what do we, we tell them, well, you know what you, can do what, you can do whatever you want, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, what's wrong with that?
2: I think that's what we do say, and I think that's what a parent does say, and, and we we really believe it because we know who they are. The mm-hmm. thing is, and this is what blew me away. I've told my kids that from the get-go. You can do anything you put your mind to, and I really do believe that. And I didn't realize until until that day I got mad, and until that day I started, I kind of said, you know what, I'm done you all are going to be stepping up to the plate and we're going to methodically go through things that you need to know how to do in your life to just to live independently. Right. And it was about month 2 when I put the, you know, the the whole cooking and cleaning and dining experience involved in a kitchen on their plate that I realized that I actually in stepping in and doing things for them to make it easier for them or because they don't have time or all these wonderful reasons we have to do it for them, and, and most of them are out of convenience for ourselves because we can do it faster, and we can do it right, and we can do it better. That's the message, this implied message that they hear when we step in is that they can't do anything, and uh, I had not realized that. And so what does that look like in everyday life as a parent? It looks like not, not doing your kid's science project for them, even though you know that the parent next to you did your, the other kids and that your child's gonna have to walk in with their science project that doesn't necessarily have a water feature and mm-hmm. look at the one next to them that, you know, has electricity and, and be okay with that because it's hard and it's hard for parents not to fill out their kid's college applications when they know that the other parents are or, it, it, and you could go down uh, so many things in life yeah. that we do because society is actually pushing us towards that. And because I, I think we'd like to blame somebody, you know, even blame the kids. Uh, they should know how to do this stuff. But the truth is that self-esteem movement probably started in the late 1940s, very well-intentioned, um, Fueled by a book by Dr. Benjamin Spock, who said the best way to have your family is for it to be child centric and centered on feelings and feeling good self esteem. And, and therein, therein, started a ball rolling where the world began to wa- revolve around our children. And, and it's moved into, to it so, so much so that kids can barely do anything today without being rewarded for it, even if there's nothing to support the reward. And, and so they've been groomed a little bit to to use those words I'm owed or I deserve and and you know that's not really the way life works
1: yeah. And I, and I think you touched on where I was getting at because what I was trying to lead you on to is say that we can tell our kids, you know, yes, it's okay to tell our kids you can do anything, you can be anything. But a lot of times we fail yeah. to tell them that uh, there is a process of learning, I mean, failing and learning, that you will fail several times before you probably learn to do what you what to, or you want to learn or be what you want to be. And it's okay. So we missed that little edge of giving the balance of success and failure, mm-hmm. even though we're telling them you can do anything. And that's what I was getting at a little bit by leading you on there a little yeah. bit. But you, you touched on that very clearly as well.
2: I do think we're scared to let our kids fall or scared to let them fail because we think it will kill their self-esteem or that right. they might be embarrassed in front of their friends. You know, I need to check all of their homework because the, every every other kid in the class might be getting a 100, and I don't want mine to feel bad. But it's one of those things. How will they ever know? How will you ever know what your kid's good at or what they like or what they don't like? Because it's, you know – it's highly likely that they're different than than we are. You know, their aptitudes very well could be completely different than what mine are. And how will you ever know that if they haven't tried and fallen? Or how will they know how to get back up if they've never had to do it on their own?
0: Okay, Kate, let's talk about how you came up with the 12 tasks or the 12 things you wanted your kids to learn. How did you pick out of the myriad of things that... That they have to do or that they wanted to do just twelve things <laughs> to get the ball rolling.
2: Well, I, I picked twelve because well I, I I'm pretty pathetic and I'm unorganized and I'm procrastinator, clearly an enabler, so many things. And I, I feel like I needed a game, so to speak, to, to actually do this and I needed something to hold me accountable. And and I, I sat there and thought, what are 12 things I really want my kids to know before they leave? And and they started very simple, you, you know, because I felt like we needed to start simply. And, and what we started with, I, I'm sure most homes do. You know, my kids weren't making their beds, and they weren't cleaning up all the, their junk. They just walk in and set it down and really not even think about it. You know, taking off their shoes when they walk in the door, and, you know, they're right in the path. But they weren't thinking about anything like that. And so that's where we started and I, I really did go down things that I wanted them to know. I wanted them to know how to cook. I wanted them to know how to do their laundry, how to clean, you know, really clean a bathroom, how to uh, do yard work, and you know, not just mowing the yard, but, you know, flowers don't just appear and all that goes along with that. I wanted them to know handyman, how to fix things. and And then I went to things that are important to me. I wanted them to know how to host a party. You know, how to, how to serve others. And so hospitality was one month. It's very important to me that they lean into service. And so we had a month where the entire month was built on, on serving and every day they had to do something. And some of it was large, like working at a soup kitchen and other days it was very small, like just picking up the trash from, from their friends at lunch and not saying anything, you know, just anything to get their eyes off of themselves. And, and so we just went down those, those months of doing practical things. And, and it was fascinating. It was the good, the bad and the ugly. We have five kids. And, uh, and so there definitely was hilarity involved and lots of whining and moaning because I'm not sure they wanted to do anything, (laughs) but we did provide incentive for them. And the greatest incentive of the whole thing was when they would realize they could do things they never thought they could do. Even as they're whining, calling me a mean mom, telling them I'm horrible, you know, that nobody else's mother is making them do this. They would (laughs) lean into this idea that, oh, my gosh, I'm cooking dinner for everybody. And and then they'd think for a moment and they'd be like, well, none of my friends do this. And, And it was great because they didn't think they could do it. And then they would realize that they could do it and it opens up all sorts of opportunities to other avenues that they would never have considered
0: what opportunities have opened up to your kids since going through this experiment uh, that you've seen re- either uh, right after the experiment or recently that you can tell us
2: about yeah cuz it is you know it is an everyday thing it's like a, it's like a mindset has changed so for instance and, and they watch out for each other a lot more because there's a ton of selflessness that is involved in all of this. I mean, when you're folding your sister's underwear and having to put it away, you know, that's truly selfless, as is cleaning your brother's bathroom. And so even this morning, one of my kids needed to get up early to finish an art project that she hadn't done. And she didn't even say one word to me about it. She said something to her sister about it last night. And her sister's waking her up, not me. I get up and they're both up and dressed and ready to go with breakfast out. And I was like, get out. You know, I had no idea they were even doing that. And those little things as simple as that, you know, if they, and this may sound crazy, but, you know, I've, I've put my kids on their bikes to go to the grocery store to get what they need. And, uh, so when my eight-year-old is, decides that he'd like to make cookies, he gets on his bike and rides to the grocery store, picks up what he needs and things like that, that, that seems so small. Um, Actually, are very large because today I never look at anything that my kids are doing in school unless they ask for help, and because they're on it, it is theirs. They have owned it. It's not my stuff. It's their stuff. They care about it, and and that part has been very interesting to watch evolve. They're kids, you know. They're still young kids. They uh, they're very eager to find opportunities to where they can work for other people because they know when they want to drive a car someday they're going to have to buy the car because the words that we talk about you know about money and how things cost certain things and then that there are issues like tax involved and all those types of things have become real to them because in very small ways they've tasted it for for example if they want to You know, if they want to spend their money to go to Michael's and buy something like Crayola Magic to play with, they know that they're going to stand in that aisle and shop the best deal and then look at their tick, you know, look at the receipt when they walk out to make sure that they paid the right amount and realize what tax is because it was added into it. And all these kind of things that are just regular life stuff that we don't even think anything about, they're learning as they go through the motion.
1: okay uh, we've got a couple of minutes before our first break it, but I want you to help us understand something this is about dynamics when it comes to the era we live in and the past and so forth especially when we live I mean you just made a comment a few minutes ago that you know one of your kids is wor- watching washing or cleaning their brother's bathroom for example and I remember yeah. you know from back then even from me growing up hey brother's bathroom no, there was one bathroom for the whole family so we've come mm-hmm. to an era of abundance that kind of gives us a little bit more complication in making this a relevant discussion with our children. I mean, not saying it's impossible, just it makes it that much more when they, they're not feeling some of those things that we felt back then, especially for me growing up in Africa. So help us understand the dynamics of with this current era and still be able to apply this entitlement uh, teaching in a very effective way. How do we do that?
2: Yeah, I, 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 to me, in, in as often as we can do anything we can to get their eyes off of themselves. Our kids all share rooms and uh, so they, they share their space Some of the kids are creative some aren't creative some are sloppy some aren't sloppy it, yet they still have to share those space and, and I think what you said is exactly right it's it's going back to the simplicity of it and involving kids in everything that's going on because there there is something that happens we've got it is an interesting culture that we live in right now and, and people are starting to point out the dangers that are involved, it, that are involved in social media, um, pressures that are on the kids that have never, you know, been on them before because so many of them walk around with telephones that are really handheld computers. And so you have all these, these, these things that make life easier that are providing avenues for some some very damaging things to happen to our kids. And, and they are things that we never had to deal with growing up. You know, this topic, no one would have talked about it 50 years ago because it was part of life. But we've pulled it out of life in an effort to make make our kids' life better for them than ours was for us. And, and I think we have to sit back and go, well, how are we defining better? You know, mm-hmm. because a lot of people put finances on that, and that's not necessarily the case.
0: We'll be back with more from Kay Wyma, the author of Cleaning House on this edition of Motivation with a Purpose after this timeout. You're listening to Motivation with a Purpose radio on TalkZone.com. Back to your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. We continue our conversation with author Kay Wiima author of the book, Cleaning House, How to End Entitlement at Home. Uh, Kay, I want to pick up the conversation by asking, how did your husband react to the experiment that you proposed?
2: <laughs> My husband puts up with me. <laughs> I'm sure he thought at the beginning that it was just a harebrained idea. <laughs> Probably wondered exactly what I was doing. I definitely, I'm, I'm real big on... Him leading our house, you know, I, I completely and wholeheartedly buy into that, and so, I, I, you know, I ran it all by him, and we talked about it. My husband grew up in Bolivia on the mission field there, and so he grew up very differently than uh, than than I did, or than we we are raising our kids. You know, they they were they had nothing. You know, they got their clothes out of the mission box when it came down there, and so. And they, they all worked their tail off. Nobody nobody ever got a car or anything. They never had a radio. They didn't have uh, so much stuff that our kids have. And so it, it, to him, seems crazy at times to talk about this stuff. And yet it's, it's just an issue that we live with. You know, you see it in the headlines almost constantly right now. You know, they call it the, there was a, last week or the week before it was, you know, just in the headlines are we raising a generation of narcissists and it's really the last thing we want for any of our kids. So he sort of held on for the ride like they did. There were some you know, when we hit the task of the handyman month that that had to involve him or at least go on to his territory <laughs> and and it wasn't right. thing that that he loved. And and so it was uh you know, I shared the good, the bad and the ugly in that book. And that that particular month there were there were some uglies involved in that because It it presented not only hard issues as far as letting go, because with a handyman, you tend to involve things like tools and there are safety issues, and and we don't want our kids to get hurt. And yet at the same time, they've got to know how to do some of this stuff so that they aren't groomed to think that they will pay someone someday to do it, because you know what? They might not be able to, and that's one thing of training. And it's a shame to groom them to believe that someone will always be there to to do their laundry or to mow their yard because they may not be able to do that. And that, that is a hard thing for, for your kid to swallow because they might think they're a failure because they can't. And therein goes again, let's think about it, just about the repercussions down the road that aren't very far down the road.
0: Kate. If you could answer this question for me, how how do boys look at this subject opposed to girls? Is there any difference in the way kids look at this subject that we're talking about this morning and in the way that you approached it?
2: (laughs) I think that's the funniest question because even you saying that, I can think of the first time that I told one of my boys, it's your turn to do the dishes, and after he said, what do you do to the dishes, he said... That's a girl's job. And I was like, what?
0: <laughs> oh, my.
2: Yes. I know. I sit there thinking, are you for real? So he learned quickly that is everyone's job. But um, I will tell you that there are some things around the house that my boys gravitate toward. You know, it doesn't mean that the girls don't know how to do it, but... Nowadays, I really put those jobs that they like, that they're very good at, that tend to involve a broom or a rake or, you know, things that are outside. My boys really love that. At least one of them does. One of them doesn't like anything because he's a teenager. <laughs> but I'm, sh- I'm that sure that
0: we could do a whole teenager. show on that.
2: <laughs> that. That mind-numbing topic. <laughs> but um, my girls really, I have one that loves the kitchen, and so she does... She really latches on to that. But, you know, it goes again to this idea that getting your eyes off of yourself is such a great key and secret to life, just to happiness. And to me, that's one of the neatest things that is involved in almost every activity in your home, that it involves serving somebody else no matter what you're doing. They may complain or, or buck the system or or whine or whatever they do, it, But in the end, it serves them so well. And I can't tell you how many times I've had one moan and groan, you know, especially with the dishes around our house. It is truly never-ending. Well, actually, every task in this house is never-ending. And so when they say, I just did that yesterday, they're right. You know, they really did just do it yesterday, but it doesn't stop. And once we get through the moaning and the whining and the complaining, almost every single time that they finish they look up for the next thing they can do because it actually makes them feel good, and and that part's been pretty amazing. I, that surprises me, and I know that's not just in my house. I've had so many moms and dads tell me the same thing occurs in their homes.
1: What I okay, hear yeah. you say? Go ahead, go on, Zeke. Go on, go, on, go on, Ray. No, go, go on. No, go ahead, Zeke. Go ahead. Well, but if, if you let me go, I'm I, I want to, I'm going to shift the discussion a little bit more here to um, the. Okay, you have some some, dis- some some pointers on how parents are doing their part in uh, greatly to enable what's going on. To some, especially in a professional and the world of work. But before we get to those stats, I want to just throw this at you, especially in an era where we are in, an, in a uh, part of our culture, a time right now, where we are dealing with recessions and everything, and there's the work question. Yet and still, as we talk about this whole thing of entitlement and en- enabling from a parental standpoint, uh, our children are saying, "Well, there are no jobs to go and have out there." You know, where uh, yet as we want to get mad at the migrant workers coming and taking our jobs, when there are potato fields and what have you out there that have. For some of us, you know, especially me growing up, that was very key, a big part of our family work to go out in the farm and do things together. Maybe we're not the heavily industrial nation as we used to be because of all this mechanical and processing things that are going on on. But there are jobs out there that are some, mm-hmm. what, these kids and our parents, us as parents feel are below our children because we want to be the medical right. doctor so they can't do those jobs. Mm-hmm. I mean, help us as we go into that so whole statistics about this, the parenting side of this and especially from uh, the, the, the world of work. Let's talk about that a little bit and move us with that uh, question into, into that discussion, please.
2: I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think what you said is the key that people think it's below them. And that, therein lies the, one of the greatest issues of setting your kid up to thinking that their first job will involve an office with a window. Because that's not necessarily Hmm. true. In fact, it's not true for almost everybody. My first job, (laughs) and this was after I had gone to a, a fine university, I had interned for my congressman. I had worked for the White House by that point, not, not in the same capacity that I did, but um, I, I would have thought for sure I would have had an office and a nice title to go with it. I had no title, and my first office was in the copy room with people making copies behind me, including me making everybody else's copies, because that's what I did, because that was a job. And I when I got out of school, it was in the late 80s. It was a recession, especially where we are in the South. There were no jobs. There were businesses closing everywhere you turned around. It was a terrible time. And yet you took whatever job you could get. I lived uh, with three other girls in an apartment because we couldn't afford anything else. And I would make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches so I could go out to dinner, and just sit with the people, you know, as they ate because I didn't have any money to to pay for it because that's what we did. You know, you didn't, there wasn't something that was below you. You got a job and then you hoped someday you would actually have a job doing what you were trained to do, which may or may not happen. And, and therein goes reality. Welcome to reality. That is life. It is, uh, it, it's a disservice to train our kids to believe that it will go the way that they think it should. And, and because they may be a tiny bit out of whack in what they think they should have and you know, kids are just that way, and, and and I and it's a wonderful thing because we want those dreamers. We that fuels so much of business as does the wisdom that comes from the people that have been there for years, and and so yes, I would say it's a disservice to groom them to believe that they will come out uh, leading the way, leading the charge, yeah. because that's not reality.
1: And and I, I want to you know, add, I, I I like like you, my you know. Uh, we, uh, been an author as well, and doing a lot of talk with families and so forth. Uh, one of the things that you're a female, and you're talking it, I want to kind of bring it from a little bit of a male's perspective, perspective because I'm doing some work as well in with uh, authentic manhood and stuff like that. And a lot of times, I think that's another side of this that we cripple our especially our boys who would someday become fathers, to realize that I do whatever is necessary. And I, as you were talking about your story, it reminded me of me to come out of college and having all the degrees or whatever, but having to not necessarily the first job, but when I lost, maybe got laid off, going back to saying, you "No, know, I'm going to be a late night worker at Walmart until I make sure I got back to where I needed to be and provide for my family adequately, at least yeah. in the interme- intermediary right now, was not even a question in my mind because I didn't, I didn't see it taken away from – who I am. It was a means to an end and it was a, you know, and so I think because of some of the, adding on to that from a male perspective, we don't realize how great of this service we do when we feel that we, when we enable our children as well to not realize that, you know, sometimes you have to do the worst, dirty, you know, rotten jobs to make, to bridge the gap. To what you really want, but it doesn't take anything away. In fact, it builds you up. It builds character in such an amazing way, from a from a spiritual standpoint as well, from a humbling standpoint Absolutely. that you would never be able to measure.
2: Boy, that is so true, and I, it is so true that it it leaves you almost weak at the thought that we're doing the opposite, because you <laughs> want men, you want a man leading the family that that is ready to step up to that and i love that you say that it doesn't define you because it doesn't and there you go you, are, are we really victims to society do we really think that, that that's going to crush our kid to fall and and that's why I, I i i have learned <laughs> and i know i'm still learning if i keep my hands off if i can which is hard to do then it really puts uh, meat on the on the bones of the words listen I know you can do anything you might you put your mind to. I trust you. I believe in you. And it's 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 so much so. I believe you I'm not getting in the middle of that. You can handle it yourself. And I think that's part of what what parenting is. It's training. You know, the Bible says to train up your child in the way they should go and when they get old they will not depart from it. And when my kids were little, you know, I'd see that on birth announcements and that kind of thing and I always thought it it meant just putting scripture in their hearts or something along those lines. I hadn't really taken into account what training actually is and training is not doing it for them. It never is. And it can't be, you know, if I'm going to go run a marathon, it would not bode me very well to put my shoes on my neighbor's feet and ask them to go run 10 miles for me. It bode well for me. If I trained, if I ran hills, if I did speed workouts, if I did, if I, you know, just the running itself will produce stamina, endurance. And, In the same way, to put the shoes on our kids' feet and let them run in it in every aspect of life helps them realize that those inevitable failures do not define them. Mm -hmm. And and then to point them to the one that actually, you know, so that they play for the audience of one, the one that actually is supporting them and that they learn it and lean into it at an early age. What a gift.
1: Okay, you you. I want you you know, you touch our hearts, Rich and I, as we were talking about this show when you were of too much help, and now we're gonna give one amount I'll let you lead into that for the next uh four or five minutes here. But for what thirty one percent of parents send potential employers resumes on behalf of their children. Are you kidding me?
2: You know, that survey was done two years ago and the latest one has moved that to half fifty mm. percent. Holy, and-
0: Holy smokes. Holy smokes.
2: Okay, isn't it funny? Would you ever have had your parent do that? Ever? I mean, did your parents even know where you were applying? I mean, it's like, uh, that's uh, my business.
0: <laughs> I would, have been, I would have been executed if I would have thought of that thought. I would have been executed and locked in it's my true. room for six months.
2: <laughs> Take it, you know, just, just for a minute, the embarrassment factor, but not anymore. And uh, they say now that uh, that a third of the people involved actually comp- parents communicate you know, verbally on the phone or in person with the human resources department, and, uh, and 3% of parents are actually attending interviews with their kids, which is really oh, shagging no. and unbelievable. Yeah.
1: <laughs> are, are you okay. serious? Are you,
2: that's what uh, the report has said. Now, here's what's so interesting, because I, I, I think we all sit there going, oh, that's sick, that can't be. But you go well. Why not? If we're doing everything else for them, why? What would stop us? I mean, we're just—it's mm-hmm. just one more thing. You know, the colleges have I mean, now a lot of. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, no, go on. You just go on. Go on.
2: Well, I was going to say that, the, that so many universities now have a department to handle all the parents that are on campus because the parents are involved in. Getting their textbooks, coming up with their class loads, communicating with the teachers, even at the university level, that it's been an issue for universities. So why would you stop?
0: I'm speechless, Zeke. <laughs> I, I really, ser- seriously, I really seriously am speechless. You know, and that hasn't happened too many times during my broadcasting <laughs> career. But uh, I think if my mom would have ever picked my classes in college. I may have uh, decided to go to another college, but uh, I love my mom. But uh, people, uh, self-responsibility. And,
1: but, 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 but yes, a question, guys. I mean, really, if that is the case, how can we legibly say? How can we clearly say we are to compete? In the world stage, the world market. If we are goodness, this is, forget about the word enabling. This is beyond just enabling. This is just downright. Uh, this is handicapping, seriously handicapping.
2: Yeah, it is. It it is, and it and, and it's one of those things where you can. That's where it's like, oh, let's let's do a helicopter instead of helicopter view, parenting. Let's take a helicopter view of what's going on. And, and realize that that's exactly what's happening. It's doing exactly the opposite of what we want for our children. It is swimming upstream to stop it, though, and that's what I think is so hard because you, you see it happening, but it's like, oh, but I just can't stop myself, you know, because if I don't step in, they are destined to be hurt, and we don't want our kids to be hurt. And you know, I, I I'm learning that that really is part of it. I now really do pray for my kids to fall because I want them to fall because they are amazing kids. I want them. I want their legs to be really strong because they get up so many times. But I can't tell you that it's easy. But I will say it gets easier because you start to realize, as they do, that they really can do so much more than than they or you think they can do, and that's exciting.
0: Okay, hey, I've got to ask you this question. If I know that I'm listening to the show right now and I'm an enabling parent, what's the first thing that I should do?
2: Well, no, you're not the only one. <laughs> and, and then it is a matter of, of stopping, sitting down and taking an inventory. Where am I stepping in that maybe I can step out and put some very genuine, real responsibilities on their plate? You know, not just to do it, but to genuinely do it. Because I think that's a hard thing, too. We'll say, you need to go do this, and then we'll come back behind and redo it for them. But to genuinely leave it on their plate and let them start to, to fly on their own wings. Yeah, I really do think we're the only species that brings them back. You know, everybody else kicks their cubs out or kicks the bird out, and they let them fly. We, we have such a hard time, in the name of love, stopping ourselves. And, and I think the first, the first step is to kind of do an inventory. Where am I stepping in that I, that I could step out? That said, you know, even if I'm not an enabling parent, there are still so many things I can do to put responsibility on my kids' plates that maybe, you know, I didn't even realize. I have a, I have a friend who, who genuinely, from the get-go, has involved his children in in the workings of their home in a major way, some often to the eye rolls of parents around him going, I can't believe you do that, you know. His kids can't really go play at people's houses because they're working in their house all day long on Saturday. Whatever chore he comes up with, they do. And uh, a few years ago, and, and this is just a story and example of what a kid can do when responsibility is put on their plate. He looked at one of his kids who was 17 at the time, and and this kid he had put on a crew when he was 14 to learn how to tape and bed and paint in a house and drywall and all of that. So the kids used to labor, and he looked at the kid. They had no sprinkler system. He said, I I want a sprinkler system in our front yard. I think it's time. Why don't you go do that to the kid? And the kid's like, I don't know how to do a sprinkler system, and he said, I don't either. Why don't you go online, YouTube it, and head on over to Home Depot? And asked them over there how to do it. And the kid didn't balk because he knew his dad wasn't joking. And, and so the kid went over to Home Depot, talked to the guys, rented one of those, you know, pieces of equipment to ground up the dirt so that he could start putting the pipes in. And all to the people watching not believing that he is actually doing it. He even had to go to a student council meeting. And this was in the very hot Texas summer and he was dirty and gross and grungy from working in his yard, and nobody there believed what he was doing because who puts the in their sprinkler system, you know? But the dad sort of thought, what's yeah. the worst thing that can happen? You know, he'd break the water main, and they, that would be expensive. But other than that, the worst thing that would happen, he'd have to hire somebody, which he would have had to do anyway. And you know what? That kid did it. And every time they drive up to the house and that sprinkler system is working, he knows he did something that even adults don't do. Nobody does. And uh, fast forward a couple of years, the kid got into University of Texas, and uh, this kid went to a little bitty Texas high school, and and he played football one semester. He goes to UT, and he he calls his dad, and he says, I think I'm going to try out for the UT football team. And his dad is like, no, you're not. And he goes, yes, I am. His dad said, no, you're not. And he said, yeah, I am. And the dad said, if you do that, I'm not, I'm not helping you with books or anything else. You will be on your own. And the kid said, okay, I'm going to do it. And you know what he did? He walked out there and he tried out for the University of Texas football team and made it as a wide receiver because that kid never saw anything from that point on as, as an undoable thing. He would try anything. He didn't care. It, it's just a, you know, it's, it's just a story to say you have no idea. What can happen when these kids are fueled with independence and responsibility because their folks believed in them enough to put things on their plate that they shouldn't be able to do?
0: Amazing. More with Kay Wyma on this edition of Motivation with a Purpose after this time out. It's time for more Motivation with a Purpose Radio on TalkZone.com. Now, back to your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Welcome back to another edition of Motivation with a Purpose as we tackle the subject of entitlement with author Kay Wyma, author of the book, Cleaning House, a mom's 12-month experiment to rid her home of youth entitlement and Kay, I gotta ask you, that was a very inspiring story about, uh, the, uh, University of Texas football player that came from very humble beginnings. Um, if I'm a parent at this point in time, what can I do? What is the first thing that you think I should do today to empower my kids? If I was to ask you that question right now, what's the very first thing today, right now, this moment?
2: Well, I do, I do think it's, it's it's to do maybe a little bit of a personal inventory and just to be honest. You know, I, I think one of the first things to do and the first questions to ask is, why am I not doing it? I think it's really important to know that to, before you can change something. Or, you know, am I doing it? If the answer is yes. Why? And I think a lot of us do it because we're afraid. You know, we're afraid for them to fail. We're afraid for them to be left out. We're afraid uh, for their self esteem to possibly be hurt, which is what we think will happen if, the, you know, let's just use school for example. What if I don't look at their homework before they turn it in? Then they might not be making good grades or they might fail or. They might be embarrassed in front of their classmates, and just really get to the bottom of it. And I, I, I do think that a lot of that is fear. And then go to the question: Is, is there really something to be afraid of? And from a faith standpoint, it may it leads me to the question of: Am I trusting God? You know, am I because He tells me not to be afraid? You know, in all things, just uh, to not be afraid. Because he's with us. And, he, and by the way, he gave us these children. You know, it wasn't something that happened by accident. And, and that uh, we're uniquely gifted to be able to, to raise them. And so if I go to the basis of the fear and maybe anchor it in truth, then to sit back and go, okay, what can I do? What can I do to equip these kids to be everything that they were created to be. And to me, that puts some, that right there puts some fuel in my tank because there's got to be wind in your sails and fuel in your tank. And then I kind of joke that, and but I do think it's really true to, uh, I'll often sit there and think, think Teflon <laughs> because as the winds start to hit, it's one of those things they have to slide off because my word, it'll be a barrage of whining and how not fair it all is. <laughs> and you have to kind of be ready for the assault because they do, it's, it, they can't stop themselves. It's not fair, you know, all those kinds of things. And so I do, I, I continually will tell myself, think tough ones. just let it roll, let it roll. It's going to be good for them and believe in the truth that it really is good for them. The training is a beautiful process and, You know, doesn't you don't have to look far to really see the power of it, because with social media and all of the power that goes along with that, that I've watched the power of a like button and these kids and how they're leaning into it and what they're looking at to define themselves is frightening. You know, they look at social media to tell them they're okay. They look at Instagram to see if they were included or not included. They they tend towards lack of interpersonal communication skills because they live their life on text and things like that. And it's one of those areas where, I, golly, that's the last place I want my kid to find their identity. And again, that really puts some fuel in my tank because if I can get them to be anchored at home, reinforcing the truth that they really belong and are needed and a necessary cog for us to function properly, it provides some grounding so that they can grow.
1: Talk about... Team building from a fan perspective, and uh, I want you to to walk us through that if you can, and help us more understand more about team building from a, your family and the unit, the importance of unity in the family.
2: Yeah, and you know we do have a lot of kids. <laughs> I do know that not everybody has as many kids as we do, but you know I don't even think it matters if you had one kid or or seven kids. They are they are a part of a team, and it does it does ground them, and it does help them to belong. and And one of our tasks. I, I put team building in there because I'm, you know, I'm a business. I have an MBA, and so I always sit there and think about that being a, a part of the work that I was involved in, you know. And and if they decide to go down that road of being in the business world, so many things are done in, in a team, and I wanted them to know what that was like, so that it wasn't new to them. And you know, a working team, not just being on a sports team, but working together. And it, I have to tell you, they learned so much from that experience about about using each other's gifts and talents because they are definitely gifted to do some things easier and better than, than others. And to watch them look at their sibling, celebrate that kid's gift, put that kid on a certain task. It it was brilliant. Not, not that I meant for it to be. That's the stuff that always unfolded. I would sit there going, golly, I had no idea. I had no idea that they, they even noticed those things about each other. And, and when, when we generally put those tasks on their plate, they they used it to the best of their ability. And then they got to watch that when you work together, you do things a lot faster, and it's it's done well. And they started to learn that it's actually easier, and they enjoyed each other's company. And all that came with working together, when you fall together, it's easier to get back up. I mean, all these wonderful things. That I just sat there thinking, my goodness, out of a harebrained idea, I had no idea the legs that were involved in it. And, and I continued to watch it going, wow, I just didn't know.
0: How do we begin team building? It, it's easy to talk about team building and say that, hey, we're going we're gonna to work as a team. What are some specific things that you would have your kids do or our kids do to start that team building process?
2: In our house, we, we you know, I asked them, we're going to, you know, I kind of set, set forth the task, which I did every month. This is what we're going to do. And then I would let them decide how, because it's so important to, if you're going to change anything in your house, you've got to involve them and they have to own it or, or it won't really make a difference. And so we involved them from the get-go, not whether or not we were going to do it, but how we were going to do it. And so on a, on a team building task, which we did, I asked them, what would you like to do? And and I, and when they sat there going, huh? I came up with a few ideas. What about what about if we? Uh, you know, our yard had uh, had stones all in it, and they love to play volleyball. And I was like, what if you re landscape the yard so we could put a volleyball net up? What well, sounded great. And so there's the task, and then it went on their plate. You guys decide how you're going to do it, and you guys decide what you're going to do, and I'm here to help you. You know. But that, but that's about it. You get to do the rest of it. And then to watch them have to go down the process of everything. How do you get the stones out? Who takes away the stones? What do we do with this? How do you do that? And and to watch them brainstorm and work on it together. We did not have a sprinkler system to put in, but I sure did want something when they drove up. We know, when we came to our house that they could look at and know every single day that they did. And I still try to find things like that, that they can that they can see, that they did just as a reminder that they really can do more than they thought they could. Because I think that's good for them.
0: Kay, in our remaining moments, you have 10 strategies uh, to end entitlement in 2013 at home. If you could concisely but quickly go through those 10 strategies and leave us with some pointers, that would be great for our audience this morning.
2: Well, you know, it whenever you come up with like a top 10 list or anything like that, I do think you have to just really start at the beginning, and you know, it comes with being honest with yourself, you know, here's, here's my issue. I, I might have a problem. And so I'm going to define it and admit it. And then for us, we had a family meeting, you know, to say, this is, this is what we're going to do involve the participants, you know, so that they do own it. And then, a really important part of anything in your life when you're going to change something, you've got to get people around you, not only to hold you accountable, but just to be there with you when you're swimming upstream. And I hope for any of your listeners that feel like they might be swimming upstream, we have a, a blog called The Moat Blog for Mothers of Adolescents and Teens, so you never have to feel like you're walking it alone. Um, for, I also put on our top ten to look back, you know, while you're looking forward. Just look at history. The things that kids did when they were in their teens and even young adolescent age is crazy. You know, George Washington at 16 was surveying Culpeper County, Virginia, writing maps by himself without his parents. And it goes on and on. They can do so much more than we think they can. And set the bar high. They love to thrive on high expectations. Be impervious to the whining because it is going to, it'll hit you. And, um... Take whatever thing you've got that's holding you back and just leave it outside. You know, I always, I always even tell myself, just park it outside, put it in a bag, leave it out. Any fears, anything that would stop us from doing it and then bring on the failure and welcome it for your kids, you know, relish it so that they do it in your own home before they have to do it somewhere else because it will come. And, um, I love, number two, just I'm happy for you using those words and meaning them. I'm happy for you. And I think that's hard for us to do as parents when we hear other parents celebrating their kids to actually genuinely celebrate with, with them rather than be jealous. And I think it's very important for us to model that for our kids, to genuinely celebrate other people's gifts and then to get ready. Because I, I cannot tell you how often I say the word, who knew? Who knew they could do it? Who knew, you know? They can do so much more than we think they can. And, and therein goes an exciting thing for, uh, for an issue that is a problem within our society to actually change it. And I love Chuck Colson's words. He always said, it was like his mantra culture doesn't change people, people change culture. And that is the essence of the United States, this country. Was born off of people saying, I'm not going to be a victim to the culture that I'm living in. I'm going to start something new. And thus was born what people have dubbed all over the world the American Dream. And the American Dream isn't something that says you're owed or you deserve. It's something that says you can do anything you put your mind to. And, uh, and therein goes the, the exciting part and, and gosh, quite a motivator to, to just turn the tide that's sort of eating our lunch right now.
0: Kay, thank you very much for your time. Our guest has been Kay Wyma, the author of Cleaning House, and this has been Motivation with a Purpose on TalkZone.com. See you next week.